Hello, and welcome to Folklore Fever. My name is Trevor Pullman, and together we're going to journey through stories that shape folklore from various parts of the world. Let's dig in. Neith watched as the ship began to approach closer to where it would moor in the harbor. Her father was supposed to be on the ship returning from Constantinople back to Alexandria. The ship's large white sails acted as a beacon as it sailed past the Pharos lighthouse, whose ancient stones gleamed in the sunlight. It had been almost three months since her father first left for the imperial capital, and Neith had worried daily for his safety. Although he was a well-known merchant among the Alexandrian citizens, Constantinople was much bigger and much more dangerous for a non-local. He had gone to the city to purchase large stores of food so that it could be resold, as the annual flooding of the Nile had not been as large as usual, causing a famine. As Neith watched the ship bob in the water, it seemed like it was off course to the docks by a bit. It seems she was not the only one to notice as a pair of men rowed out in a small reed boat to help pull the ship closer to the shore within the natural harbor. Neith watched anxiously as the men looped rope around the prow of the ship and began to paddle it back to the docks. Neith watched the deck of the ship closely, but there was no sign of movement above deck. She figured that everyone must be below decks preparing their personal items for disembarkation. As the ship was pulled into the dock, she noticed there was not even anyone at the helm of the ship guiding it into port but the helmsman may have gone below decks after they began to be towed in. As the ship was tied up at the docks, Neith ran over to wait for her father. The two men that had been in the reed boat finished tying the ship in place and put a gangplank out for those on the ship so that they could come ashore. After a few minutes, there was still no sign of the ship's occupants. Neith asked one of the men if they could make sure everything was okay below decks. He sighed, rolled his eyes, and climbed aboard the ship and began to look for the entrance to the decks below. After a few tense minutes, Neith watched him locate the door to the lower decks and began working the rope tying the door shut apart. As the man from the dock began to descend out of Neith's vision, she found herself holding her breath. After about 30 seconds of no response, a deep primal scream came from below, as well as a thrumming, heaving sound. It sounded like several large pieces of cargo were moving all at the same time, as the scream was wrenched terribly short. Neith found her pulse quickening as the thrumming noise got louder as it was reaching the door to the lower decks. The other dock worker began to run up the gangplank, getting halfway up it before he could see on deck and he stood frozen in fear. A dark wave began to pour forth from the boat. After a beat, Neith recognized what the large mass was. It was hundreds and hundreds of rats pouring out of the ship. There was such an abundance that many members of the swarm were being pushed off the edges of the gangplank, swimming their way to shore. Their reddish eyes gleamed as the swarm began rushing down the dock towards Neith and the rest of the city. Neith realized her blood had run cold, even in the sweltering Egyptian sun. The plague of Justinian had come to Alexandria. The very first instance of plague in recorded history was the plague of Justinian. This was named for Emperor Justinian I, or Justinian the Great of the Eastern Roman Empire. Rome had been split into two halves about 100 years before in an attempt to make the administration of the empire easier, as it had become too big to effectively govern from one place. In 541, the first reports of plague were recorded by a Greek historian named Procopius. The cases were located in the port of Pelusium, near modern-day Suez in Egypt. Egypt provided much of the food and grain for the empire, being home to many farms in the Nile Delta and granaries that stored harvested grain until it was time to use it. Because of this, there were many ships coming in and out of the ports in Egypt moving grain throughout the empire. This allowed the plague to spread even faster. 
For over a millennium, it was unclear what exactly the plague of Justinian was. Scholars at the time wrote about the disease, stating that it caused swelling and blackened hands. This was assumed to be Black Plague based on the writings and description of the symptoms. In 2013, however, it was confirmed that this had been a strain of Yersinia pestis, the same bacterium that causes the Black Plague. There have been very close relatives to the Justinian strain located both in ancient samples found by exhuming bodies of those that had succumbed to the disease and modern living samples in the Tian Shan mountain range of Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and China. This bacterium makes its home in the gut of fleas, being transmitted to new hosts when the flea feeds on the blood of its various hosts. The host of choice for the flea is the rat, which due to its widespread nature, especially in conjunction with human settlement, makes for a very communicable disease. Because the vector for the disease was the fleas using rats as a host, anywhere that rats could thrive, the disease was particularly aggressive in places like the granaries of Egypt, the metropolitan Constantinople, and the battlefields of North Africa and the Maghreb. Egypt provided the rats with large amounts of food. As the food was shipped by boat across the empire to feed its citizens, the rats traveled with the grain. This created an opportunity for the disease to quickly spread across a wide geographic area. As sailors are often in close quarters, it allowed an opportunity for the fleas to rapidly move from host to host, spreading the bacteria with each bite. When the grain was unloaded in its destination, infected rats would also spread the disease to local fleas, as they were bitten as well. This would continue the spread of the disease further and further as local rats and fleas were infected in addition to the local human population. The place that was hit the hardest by far was the city of Constantinople, where modern Istanbul stands today. Many of the large cities across the Mediterranean were affected by the plague in a way that destroyed the population. When the later waves of plague in the 14th century occurred, London, Paris, and Florence each had about 60,000 people die over the course of several years. Constantinople was regarded to be the largest city in the world at the time, with a population of over 400,000. For comparison, this is about the size of modern Tucson, Arizona. According to Procopius, when the plague hit the imperial capital, it was catastrophic, with over 10,000 deaths occurring per day in the city. He recorded that the population was dying so quickly that there was no one left to conduct funeral rites for the dead. People were either caring for a sick family member, attempting to bury one, or needed to be buried themselves. The cemeteries quickly became too full, and with nowhere to bury the dead, they were simply stacked in the streets. Procopius also wrote that the whole city reeked of death as bodies decayed in the street. This in turn attracted even more rats that would eat the decaying flesh before their fleas could spread the disease to others in the surrounding area. The lack of people who were not ill caused a food shortage throughout the empire, as there was not enough workers to harvest the fields, leaving food to rot on the vine. This caused a lack of food and induced a famine, causing grain prices to rise significantly throughout the empire. As the basic necessities for life began to skyrocket in price, this caused an economic meltdown for the people of the empire. This prompted Justinian I to announce to the people of Constantinople that not only would they still be responsible for their annual tax at the normal level it was assessed at, but they would also be responsible for any neighbors that had died due to the plague as well. Justinian had also been affected by this plague as well. He himself had contracted the disease at the height of the outbreak, but had survived it. In addition to his personal health problems, Justinian was also fighting several wars at the borders of his empire. This was in an attempt to recover the lands that had been lost by the Western Roman Empire as it fell to various tribal groups. As these soldiers were shipped across Europe in an attempt to recover much of the old Roman Empire as possible, they also continued to spread the disease. 
The cost of waging these wars, as well as the large amounts of money that Justinian had spent earlier in his reign, when he had constructed the Hagia Sophia, one of the most important churches in the Christian world at the time, as well as many other basilicas throughout the empire. Some of these churches were not finished by the time the plague arrived and simply had to be abandoned as there was not enough workers to effectively build the religious sites. As the armies of Justinian attempted to retake Rome, North Africa, and Iberia, battles broke out against various groups who had taken part of the former Western Roman Empire. These battles would leave casualties of war on both sides. This would in turn attract scavengers, such as vultures and rats. The rats, in turn, would continue to spread the disease via the fleas along for the ride. These battles were not kind to the imperial forces either. Although much of the North African portion of the empire was recovered, the European portions of the empire would ultimately make no progress. The forces would take portions of land, only to be routed as their supplies dwindled as the economic effects of the plague hit the imperial administration and its military in turn. Although the plague was mostly over by 549 AD, Eight long years after it had started, it continued to have smaller outbreaks for almost 200 years. Over the course of this window of time, it's believed as many as 100 million people were killed by the disease. This came to be about 56% of the world population of that time. Even with the Americas not being affected by this disease, almost three out of five people across the world were killed by the plague of Justinian. This plague also had long-reaching effects on not just the Eastern Roman Empire, but all of Europe as the empire was severely weakened. The fact that the empire had been thrown into such turmoil crippled its armies, as they shrank to some of the smallest sizes the empire would ever have. As Islamic Arab forces began to grow in strength over the next 50 years, they would wage war with the empire, annexing much of its territory. It allowed tribes in Europe to begin establishing their own kingdoms, as the Western Empire's losses had to be forgotten to defend their own lands. The losses to caliphate forces would compound the weakness of the empire's military, and after over 300 years of slowly losing land to various groups, the Eastern Roman Empire, now called the Byzantine Empire, would be occupied and partitioned by crusading soldiers from the west. This is generally considered to be the point at which the Byzantine Empire began to fall. Not everything that came out of the plague was bad, however. Because of the massive losses of life, the system of serfdom was no longer enforceable in much of Western Europe, leading to various forms of early republics. After two years of living within a much more mild pandemic, it's hard to comprehend what living during a time that 56% of all people on Earth are being killed by a disease, compared to the less than 1% worldwide that have been killed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. For me, these last two years have felt simultaneously extremely long and extremely short. I can only imagine what eight years of this would feel like, or even worse, 200 years. The truly terrifying part of our story today is that Yersinia pestis has not gone anywhere. Roughly 1,000 to 2,000 people worldwide still contract it every year. Luckily, due to modern antibiotics, the mortality rate has gone from 90% when untreated down to 10% if treated quickly. Unfortunately, that is still a very high mortality rate for the number of infected individuals. Most of the decline is attributed to an increase in personal hygiene and lack of close quarters with infected rats for most individuals. As we're still in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, it's clear to many people right now just how quickly a disease can appear, sweep across nations, and change life for many. And just like Justinian, governing bodies will struggle to find an answer that makes everyone happy. Thank you for listening to Folklore Fever. This episode was written and researched by me, Trevor Pullman. 
The opening theme is by Miyu. You can find more of his excellent work at thedarkpiano.com. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please send an email to folklorefever at gmail.com. See you soon.